the views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Here we are halfway through the summer, so we're giving the team the weekend off. I've got some of our favorite recent calls lined up for you today. Questions you may very well have missed and are on your mind. If you've got downtime, would like answers to any of your questions, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK or visit rickedelman.com. Let's go right to your phone calls. Off to Bay City, Michigan. Charlene's with us. Hi, Charlene. Hi, Rick. How are you? Doing well, thank you. How can I help? Um, I have a question for you. I recently have come into some money. Um, I have about $100,000. I would like to invest, but would like something low risk, high return, and be able to access the money without penalty. And I was wondering if you have any suggestions. Well, I would like that, too. You know, and I also want beer that tastes good and has less filling. So, come on, Charlene. Seriously, high return, low risk, and easy access anytime? You really think such a thing exists? Um, Probably not, but... No, Charlene? Yes? Definitely not. Okay. Definitely not. And this is an important point, because if you go around looking for such a thing, you will encounter someone who will promise to deliver it to you right and they will be lying to you right you will likely be setting yourself up for a fraud okay anybody who says that you can get a high return with low risk and easy access to your money at any time is a liar period full stop okay let me tell you this i'm 67 i'm retired and I would like to kind of supplement um, the little bit of income that I do have coming in. So now you're telling me your highest priority, and that is a really good thing to do. Okay. So your priority is to generate additional income. Yes. How much additional income per month would you like to get from this $100,000? Oh, wow. Um Probably between between um, 100 and $200. So $200 a month is $2,400 a year. Correct. Which is 2.4%. Okay. So you're looking for an investment that will generate 2.4% per year of a return. Correct. Good. Let me ask you this. The account is worth $100,000 right now and you're 67, when you die, we'll call that 97, do you still want to have the same 100000 or is it okay if there's less? Oh, no, it's okay if there's less, yes. Could it be okay if it's even zero? 
Like we spend down the hundred thousand so that by the time you're ninety seven, it's gone. Is that okay? Uh, I would rather not because I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. Meaning, you might still be alive at ninety eight. Yes. Okay. So as long as the money doesn't run out before you do, is it okay if the account goes down in value? Picture an airplane on a glide path to the airport. Is it okay if the account value slowly comes down as you age? Yes. And the reason I ask is that some people say no. Some people say, I want to preserve the hundred grand intact with no loss because I want to leave it to my children and grandchildren or I want to leave it to charity or what have you. So some folks say, I don't want ever to touch the principal. In fact, some people call that the 11th commandment. Thou shall not spend principal. Right. So that's not you. You're not saying that. You're saying it's okay if we spend down the account. I just don't want to spend it down too fast and I want to make sure it's there for as long as I'm around. Right. Okay, that means, and that's really good to know, because that means that we can probably spend more than the 2.4% per year. The 2.4% would leave the 100 grand intact forever. But if we spend more than that, if we double it and spend 5% per year, that means half the money you get will come from your principal. The other half, though, will come from the interest. Let me say it the other way. Half the money will come from the gain in the investment or the interest or the dividend or the growth, but the other half will come from the principal. You will slowly spend down the principal. So if we are willing to do that, if we're willing to spend down the principal, but very, very slowly, so that it is likely to last you know, 30 years or more, that tells us that we can now choose an investment that is a little bit higher than zero risk. We might now be able to choose an investment that has some risk as opposed to no risk. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Because if we go with the no risk approach, that's going to mean bank accounts, bank CDs or treasuries. And we know that they're paying zero point nothing. You're not going to get the 2.4% in that account. Right. But if you're willing to spend down some of the principal, that might be good enough. So I'm going to give you a couple of choices here. And to determine which of these choices is best, we need to sit down for a couple of hours so we can do some number crunching for you. So we can do the analysis in greater detail than I can on the radio just to confirm what I'm about to tell you. But basically, it's this. One idea is to go ahead and put the 100 grand in a bank CD and spend down on a monthly or annual basis the 2.4% that you need, the, the 200 bucks a month. You're not going to earn 2.4 in the bank, so you're going to spend some of your principal at the rate of maybe 2% a year. And if you spend 2% a year, the money's going to be gone in 30 or 40 years. That might be okay. On the other hand, you might take the money, put it into a more diversified portfolio of mutual funds and exchange-traded funds that have not only U.S. treasuries that are safe, but have some stocks that are obviously more risky. But stocks also have the potential for a much higher return. So you get a blend. No one investment is both low risk and high return, but you have some investments that are low risk and other investments that have the potential for high return. And when you put them all together in a package, it's kind of like chocolate and peanut butter. You're getting the best of both worlds. Okay. And that way you can generate the 2.4% per year because the overall portfolio will probably be earning that and maybe even more than that, meaning you might even be able to have more than 200 bucks a month. Maybe you'll be able to have 250 bucks or 300 bucks a month. 
That's the number crunching we need to do for you to figure out exactly how best can we design this. But I would say you have those two basic choices. Leave it in the bank, super safe, liquid, but you know you're going to spend the principal down. Or put it in a diversified portfolio where you probably, not not guaranteed, not, not certain, but probably won't have to spend the money down. And that means the money will either last longer or you can have more of it on a monthly basis. Right. And you might even choose a combination of the two. Leave some of it in the bank and put some of it in the diversified portfolio. Okay. That's the kind of modeling and analysis that you need to get from a financial advisor. We have offices uh, not terribly close to you. I think probably Detroit is our nearest office to you. But these days with COVID, it's all over the phone and Zoom anyway. Right. So whether you talk to us or, or somebody, you should talk with some financial advisor and pose to them the same question you posed to me. How do I generate $200 a month out of my $100,000 so that I don't lose the hundred grand before I die? Okay. Don't say, I want low risk, high return, and easy access all the time, because that's how you might get suckered into talking to a scam artist without knowing it. Right. Yeah, and I don't want that. Right. Exactly. Okay, Rick, I appreciate the information. You're very welcome, Charlene. If we can be helpful, just call us at the same number you called today, 888-PLAN-RICK. Will do. Thank you much. You're very welcome. That was Charlene in Bay City, Michigan, here on The Rick Edelman Show, and that's the number, 888-PLAN-RICK, 888-752-6742, online at rickedelman.com. by Talkers Magazine as one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in the country. This is The Rick Adelman Show. Let's go to Naperville, Illinois, here on the Rick Edelman Show, taking a call from Bob. How are you, Bob? Welcome to the show. Fine. Thanks so much for taking my call, Rick. Rick, I'm uh, 56 years old. I plan on retiring in about 10 to 11 years. I have a 401k at work that's worth a little over $900,000. But I have a, a personal stock account that's worth about $1.4 million. But my basis is only slightly over three hundred thousand. I'm doing this, never turning it over. Just keeps accumulating. Mm-hmm. And with all the fears that I have about, it looks like they're going to try to tax, not necessarily the wealth portion of it, but the capital gain or change those rates. So I'm starting to wondering whether it's best now just to sell that stock account, take my hit for fifteen percent. And then put it back in either all at once or dollar cost average it or something like that to see if I can't uh, save a few dollars down the road. Well, I got bad news for you. The capital gains rate is 20%. (laughs) (laughs) It's already higher than you thought. Um, uh, So first of all, congratulations on your financial success in your mid-50s and you've already got two and a half million saved up. That's really congratulations. You get the applause of the day for doing such a good job at accumulating wealth. Good for you. 
the uh, question of capital gains taxes is a very big one because we all know that President Biden is proposing tax increases. Uh, he has yet to uh, announce what the specifics are going to be, but he has been clear that it's going to be an increased uh, tax on corporations and on those who have wealth. Uh, and you're who he's talking about. Hate to tell, hate to break it to you, Bob, but you are wealthy. And one of the ways that we can expect a tax increase is in the capital gains rate, uh, because it's only rich people who have appreciated assets, stocks, bonds, real estate, etc. And so the capital gains tax is likely to be raised. Um, we don't know how much it'll go up. And we also don't know when it would be effective. Uh, when governments create changes in tax law, they often do it retroactively. Most laws, when they get passed into law, they take effect in the future to give everybody time to adjust. But they don't do that with taxes because they don't want to say in six months there will be a higher tax because people will play the game and, and you know trigger activity to avoid that tax. So what they do is they say... The tax, if it's passed into law, will become effective as of right now, today, the day the bill is introduced. So it's already too late to do anything about it. Sometimes, because people are anticipating the bill, they say the law will be effective retroactive to January 1st. So there's nothing you can do about it. So I'm going to give you two answers to the question. Number one... If there's nothing you can do about it, then this whole conversation is academic. You know, if they're going to make it retroactive to January 1, it's already too late for you to do anything. So there's nothing to talk about. On the other hand, let's say that there is an opportunity, that they introduce legislation, and between now and then, you have the chance to sell your stocks, realize the gains, and pay the taxes at the current gains rate of 20%, which might be an extra 3.9, depending on how much income you have. Uh, there's also a state tax on top of that in many cases. Here's the real question, uh, and I have two questions for you. Number one, is it your intention to sell these stocks at some point in your life? In other words, are you going to die owning these stocks, or are you going to sell them prior to death? I probably will sell them prior to death, or at least start converting them as I start getting closer now to retirement, starting to move it into a better balance for myself. Got it. And the reason I asked is that if you were planning to own them until you die, then you could keep them because, again, under current law, there's something called a step up in basis, meaning that if you die owning the stocks, your children inherit them or your spouse, and they don't have to pay the capital gains tax at all. Heirs are exempt from capital gains tax. However, Joe Biden has also said he might eliminate that feature, too. Um, so even that, not even sure of. But that's not you. You're going to sell the stocks at some point, which means for you, you're going to pay the capital gain. The only question is when, and that is within your control. You can choose to sell now, paying the tax in 2021, or you can choose to sell at some point in the future, paying the tax in the future. And that is my next question. In what year do you think you would sell? And I'm not going to bother asking you to answer the question because I know it's going to be a complicated answer on your part. My point in asking the question is this. If you're not going to sell some of it for 10 years or 20 years, because you're only 56, who knows what the capital gains law will be in 10 or 20 years? We know what Joe Biden is about to do in 2021, but he's only elected for four years, maybe eight we don't know who the president's going to be. Look at the difference of the past four years. We went from Barack Obama, who raised taxes, to Donald Trump, who lowered taxes, 
to Joe Biden, who's raising taxes, all within a span of six years, from the last year of Obama to the first year of Biden, right? So if you're looking about 10 or 20 years out, who knows what the capital gains rate will be by then? You might be selling now to avoid a higher rate, when in fact in 20 years it could be lower than even today. It's pure speculation. We have no idea. So if you're highly confident that you're going to make whatever moves you're talking about making during the Biden administration, and I would emphasize the current Biden administration, ignoring his potential for re-election, then yeah, go ahead and sell now and play the arbitrage game of selling at today's quote-unquote low capital gains rate as opposed to what's coming. But if you weren't going to sell it until long after Biden leaves office, whether that's four years or eight years, uh, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't act to dump an incredible $1.1 million capital gain on yourself, resulting in a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar tax liability. Makes sense. I understand. So to really get the answer to the question for your personal circumstance, you need to meet with a financial advisor because we need to examine... The issue you raised, you mentioned it only in passing, it's, it's foremost in your mind and appropriately so, and that is risk. How much risk are you taking by owning the portfolio you currently have? How able is it to generate the income you're going to want to generate in your retirement in 10 or 11 years? And if you're going to have to make those changes, might not you be better off by making those changes now as opposed to later? taking into consideration not just the Biden tax laws, but your risk, your need for income, your ability to maintain your lifestyle, no matter what the tax laws might be. So I would encourage you to meet with a financial advisor. Uh, We've got an office not far from you in Chicagoland and and happy to help you sort it all out. Very good. Makes sense. And I really appreciate your thoughts on the matter. It's my pleasure, Bob. Thank you for calling. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. You know, we invite you to... uh, Send in your question with an audio clip. Just record your own voice on your smartphone and send the audio file to me via email. Send it to askrick at rickedelman.com. David did that. Here's his question. Hi, Rick. David from New York. My wife and sister-in-law have both inherited quite a bit of money from members of the family that passed away, both having approximately a half a million dollars. We have invested hours with a trusted financial advisor, Uh, My sister-in-law has it with a broker. She decides every time the market goes up, she takes out her profits. I asked her, well, when the market goes down, do you put that money back in to make it up? She said no. She feels much more comfortable with her profits safely tucked away in a bank. I know it's completely wrong, but I can't explain it to her. Please help me out. (laughs) Well, David, I'm not sure that it's completely wrong. It really all depends on the circumstances and the attitudes and the goals and objectives. In other words, why are any of us investing? Well, you're investing because you want to maximize profits. You know that if you keep the money invested, you'll make more over the long term. She's not necessarily focusing on maximizing profits. It sounds like your sister-in-law is focusing instead on preservation of principle. And let's face it, if all she ever does is sell with a profit and put the profits into the bank, wow, she's got a winning strategy. Now, is her winning strategy enough to achieve her financial goals? She might feel good about it because she's not risking too much of her money, but is she 
generating the financial security that she truly does need. So instead of just trying to look at it from a performance perspective, if you do it this way, you'll make more than if you do it that way. Let's focus on what the whole point of all of this is. How much money does she need to generate an income? How long is she going to need that income? What are the tax implications, the inflation implications, and so on? And let's look at it from that perspective. If, in fact, she has enough money to meet her needs and is able to generate enough income to satisfy her lifestyle, then the way she's managing money is what I'll call, quote unquote, good enough. Even if it isn't maximizing the profit potential, it is optimizing the financial planning scenario. So we need to make sure that we're applying her value system to the equation and not yours. She might not be managing the money the way you ought to be managing it for you, but perhaps she's managing the money for herself the way that she does need to be managing it. Having her talk with a fee-based, objective, independent, fiduciary financial advisor who can provide a comprehensive financial plan will help her answer the question to her and your satisfaction. Dealing with a broker who's simply helping her buy investments and take profits uh, off the table when they occur, well, she's not necessarily getting the comprehensive level of advice that could be of value and benefit to her. So instead of trying to convince her to do things your way, I would convince her to do talk with a trusted financial planner such as the one you've hired as a stepping stone to helping her confirm whether or not what she's doing, the way she's doing it, is in fact in her best interest. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com. Author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. Got a question for me? You can record it on your smartphone. Send me the audio file to askrick at rickedelman.com. Aaron did that. Let's listen to his question. Hey, Rick. I'm 51 years old. Um, I have some cash in a trading account that I have earmarked for down payment on a home. I feel like I should be having that money work for me while I look for a home, which is not going so great due to the low inventory and high values right now. So what would you recommend I do with that money in the meantime? Well, Aaron, by saying that you have the money in a trading account makes me think you have it in a brokerage account where you're trading stocks. Um, and your attitude is, I want to have my money working for me. I want to earn money while it's just sitting there. And I understand your point of view, but I completely, thoroughly, totally disagree with what your strategy is. And it's very simple why. If you have money invested in stocks, especially in an active trading activity, you're taking a pretty big risk that the stock market may fall and you could lose a significant amount of money, so much so that it could eliminate your ability to have enough cash for the down payment of the house you're trying to buy. So I'm really not excited about that. I mean, let's just do some simple math. Let's pretend you're trying to buy a $500,000 house and you're going to go get a big mortgage. You're going to put down 10%. That's $50,000 and you've got the $50,000 in your trading account. 
So good. You're ready to buy the house as soon as you find the house of your dreams. But suddenly the stock market crashes. The stock market falls 10% in value and your $50,000 is now only $45,000. You can't buy the house. So that's my point. I would not invest in the stock market money that you plan to spend within the next three years. Because as 2008 proved to us, anything can happen at any time in the stock market, and it can take a very long time for prices to recover. We saw last year a 35% drop in the market in six weeks. Now, we got really lucky. The market recovered in a matter of months. But in 2008, it took three years for the market to recover. So I'm really not very excited about what you're doing. I get it. I understand it drives you crazy to have the money sitting in a bank account earning zero point nothing. But that's the price you pay for safety. That's the price you pay for the liquidity, the availability of the cash to be able to accomplish your goals. And your goal is to buy a house. It's not to make a little extra money in a trading account by getting lucky in some stock buys. So you really need to focus in on your true goal and emphasize that. If your goal is to buy the house and you currently have sufficient money for the down payment of the house, goal accomplished. Leave the money in cash until you find the house that you like and go from there. I'm Rick Edelman. You can do what Aaron did. Send me your question to askrick at rickedelman.com. Let's go to the telephones. Off to Fairfax, Virginia. Bob is with us. Hi, Bob. How are you? Fine, thanks. What can I do for you? Is term life insurance a good way to make a donation to a college or a charity? Uh, well, it depends. When are you going to die? Uh I, I don't have that on the calendar yet. <laughs> uh, well, that's the problem then, isn't it? Because term life means that you have insurance coverage for a specific term, meaning a period of time. Some term life policies are five-year term, 10-year term, 20-year term. There's even a policy out there that's a 30-year term. But you need to die within that term or the policy expires worthless. So you don't know when you're going to die, and therefore term life is not a good solution for charitable giving. You need, instead of a term policy, you need a policy that covers you for your whole life, no matter how long you're going to live, and that means you need a whole life policy, a permanent policy that is in force, in effect, for as long as you're alive. So term life does not do the job when you're making bequests or, or gifts to charities, colleges or ch churches or whoever. You need a whole life insurance contract. Okay, good. Thanks. That helps. You're very welcome. I'm glad you were able to get that info, Bob. That was Bob in Fairfax, Virginia, here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. Hey, here's an interesting statistic I came across, and I want to mention this. You'll accuse me of motivated self-interest, but this just drives me crazy. Who is it that financial advisors work for? What kind of people? 42% of those polled say financial advisors are only for the wealthy. Way wrong answer! That, that, that just drives me nuts. We've built our career here at Edelman Financial Engines, and I don't think we're alone. I think this is true of a lot of advisors around the country. I mean, sure, naturally, wealthy people tend to hire financial advisors, but you know who else hires financial advisors? People who want to be wealthy. They're not wealthy yet. In fact, wealth isn't even on their game plan. It's not that you're trying to become wealthy. It's that you're trying to achieve financial security. You're dealing with all kinds of financial decisions on a daily basis. 
Not just big decisions about buying houses and cars and selecting jobs and choosing investments for your retirement plan at work, but day-to-day ordinary choices as well. What kind of insurance should you buy? Do you need life insurance? What kind of policy? How much coverage? When you buy an investment, whose name should you put it in? Should it be in your name, joint with a spouse? Should it be a custodial account, a trust account, a 529 account? Should you choose an IRA or should it be a Roth IRA? Should you do non-deductible IRA contributions? There are a broad array of decisions that we make on a regular basis, usually minor individually, but you add them all up and they conspire to have a very big influence on the likelihood you'll be able to achieve retirement in financial security. So it's not wealthy people exclusively who hire advisors. It's people who simply want to make sure they're making the right decisions with their money. And here's the best news. In the survey, of those who say they have an advisor, 95% say their advisor is worth the money. So I'll put it to you. What do you think financial advisors cost How much money does a financial advisor charge you? 45%, nearly half, said that they think financial advisors charge 5% to 15% of the assets under management. Meaning if you invest $100,000, the advisor is going to charge you five grand to 15 grand. Nonsense. That'd be illegal, quite frankly. The typical charge for a financial advisor, 1%. 2% or less. You don't have to pay exorbitant amounts of money to hire a financial advisor. Think about this. The reason you hire an advisor is to help you grow your wealth. Well, if you're paying a huge amount of your growth in fees to the advisor, nobody would hire an advisor. The fact that so many people do hire advisors is pretty good evidence that the advisors are helping you grow your wealth net of the fee. So if you have any assumptions about advisors, go talk to an advisor, go talk to a couple of advisors and prove out your thesis. Let's see if you're correct. If you have a suspicion of what advisors charge, go call a couple of advisors and ask them, what do you charge? How much will it cost me all in to work with you? If you think advisors are only for wealthier folks than you, call a few advisors and say, here's how much money I have. Is that enough to become your client? Some advisors might say no, but guess what? I'll bet you're able to find advisors who say yes, including those of us here, because although we work with lots of wealthy people, our household minimum is only $5,000. So don't let money or lack of it stop you from hiring an advisor. And one way that people are making money these days, especially in the pandemic, instead of getting a job... They're starting their own business, which is wonderful. Entrepreneurship is what made America great, uh, is the basis on which our nation was founded from the colonial era. And the real question is, how do you go about doing it? There are key questions, most importantly, how are you going to finance it? Where are you going to get the money to pay the expenses you're going to incur in forming the business and getting it up and running? Are you going to liquidate your savings and investments? Borrow from your 401k, get a cash advance off your credit card, pull cash out of your home equity, sign personal guarantees for contracts. You need to factor all of this in mind to determine how you're going to handle this. And before you make any of those decisions, go talk 
with a financial advisor who can help you evaluate your business idea, help you convert it into a solid business plan, and do so to minimize the risk and avoid placing you and your family at unnecessary financial jeopardy. All of these ideas and more are ways that a financial advisor can help you, and I hope you'll take full advantage of it. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. articles on personal finance sign up for rick's email update at rickedelman.com let's take another telephone call here on the rick edelman show off to uh, bloomfield hills in michigan Maisie is with us hello Maisie. hi rick how are you Doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you so much. What can I do for you today? Well, I really appreciate what you do. Thank you. Very educational over the years. Um, I know you have spoken about long-term care insurance before. Yeah. And we have a live example in our family, a relative for whom the, the monthly expense for her care is really astronomical. How much? $7,000. That's actually below the national average. The national average is $8,000. $7,000 a month is really incredible. And may I ask who this is in your family? This is my mother-in-law. Okay. And does your mother-in-law have the money to pay for this? Fortunately, her late husband did provide enough so that she is covered. And we're we're really grateful for that. Yeah. However, it, it does have me rethinking, what should I be planning in terms of this expense for... For my husband and myself. Exactly. And that is what is the lesson that everybody learns. We get lots of our clients who come in saying exactly that. My mom just incurred the cost. Oh, my goodness. What can I do for me? Because it's too late for your mother-in-law because she's incurring the cost of care. So that's all there is to it. And she'll pay for it out of pocket until she doesn't have any money left. At which point, either you will pay for her care uh, out of love uh, and financial ability, or she'll go on Medicaid, which is the health insurance plan for the poor. Um, neither of them are desirable. So you want to avoid that problem for yourselves and your children. And that means you and your husband should strongly consider purchasing long-term care insurance. Okay. The cost of a policy it's going to be for the two of you probably around six thousand, um, give or take six thousand dollars a year for each of you. But I'd much rather pay six grand a year than seven grand a month. Sure. So, so six thousand for each of us. So twelve thousand per year. Mm-hmm. Is is the cost impacted? by the age at which we purchase the insurance, yes. I assume. Yes, the older you are, the more expensive it is. And your health condition will determine whether or not you qualify for a policy. And it's kind of weird. The long-term care insurance industry looks at it differently from that life insurance industry. For example, if you have a bad heart condition or cancer, the life insurance industry will say, forget it, we're not giving you a life insurance policy because you're likely to die. That doesn't bother the long-term care insurers. They don't care if you die. What they don't like is osteoporosis, arthritis, 
They don't like chronic conditions. They don't like Alzheimer's. In other words, they're fearful that you're going to have something that will cause you to need care but not kill you. I'm talking about this very harshly. I apologize. So you want to look at your own medical and health issue. And that's why the younger you are when you apply, the better, because the younger you are generally, the healthier you are. Well, what is your uh, age, Maisie? 52. 52. And your husband is? 56. Okay. So you are perfect ages to be considering long-term care at this point. Very often people seek to buy it in their 60s and 70s, and by then they have medical conditions that preclude their ability to get coverage. And in your 50s, it'll be a lot cheaper than if you're in your 60s or 70s. But I need to warn you. In life insurance, when you buy a policy, the price is locked in. It's guaranteed for the life of the policy or the 20-year term or whatever it is you're buying. But that's not true with LTC. With long-term care insurance, the insurance companies can raise the rates. And as everyone who owns long-term care insurance knows, over the last 20 years, that's exactly what they've been doing. We have seen policy increases that have doubled or tripled or quadrupled over the past couple of decades. And that means the $6,000 that they cost today... 10 years ago, they were half that. And 10 years from now, they may be double that. So you do need to watch out, be prepared for price increases in long-term care because the industry is discovering two things. Number one, people don't cancel their policies. They keep them forever. And number two, there's a very high likelihood you'll file a claim. One out of two Americans over 65 will need long-term care coverage at some point. They'll incur long-term care services before they die. And so the likelihood you're going to need the insurance is very high, and that's why the insurance industry prices it very high. So don't let that scare you away from buying it. It should reinforce the need for the coverage. Basic rule of thumb is this in the world of insurance. The more expensive the insurance, the more likely you need it. If the policy is cheap, it's because you don't need it. The insurance company knows they're never going to pay a benefit. Remember those policies when you were a kid? Uh, I remember my mom buying them. She'd go to the airport, and she'd go to a machine, and for $1, she bought airplane crash insurance. Remember that? Yes. And it was like a dollar. Why would they sell me a dollar? Because they knew the plane wasn't going to crash. The dollar was free money for them. <laughs> it's like a lottery ticket. You buy it, and they never have to give you anything for it. So if they're going to charge you seven grand a year for the insurance, it's their way of saying, we're probably going to pay a claim. So you and your husband should get with your financial advisor and look at the policies because there are a variety of different kinds of policies with a multitude of features and benefits, all of which have a factor in what the policy costs. And so if the price of the premium is fearful, uh, you're saying, oh, my goodness, how can I afford that? Well, we can maneuver different features and benefits to reduce the cost so that maybe you don't have to buy a Cadillac policy. Maybe a Chevy policy is sufficient. Okay, very good. Thank you so much, Rick. You're welcome, Maisie. Thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate it. That was Maisie. And if you've got similar questions about your long-term care for yourself, your family, and remembering that it is a family situation, your need for long-term care has a direct impact on your children, as Maisie is proof of point of. I'm Rick Edelman. 888-PLAN-RICK is how you reach us and get our help. That's 888-752-6742. Time now for a visit from my wife, Jean Edelman, here on The Rick Edelman Show. Jean, co-founder, of course, here at Edelman Financial Engines with a degree in consumer economics and a specialty in nutrition and an expert in macrobiotic cooking. Jean here with her weekly segment, everybody's favorite of the show. Jeannie. Hi, everybody. Great to be back. The word that's floating around in my mind this week is believe. What a wonderful, powerful, beautiful word. Think about when someone looks you in the eye and says, I believe in you. 
You feel like you can take on the world, your bucket of confidence. It is filled to the brim. And what about when we say, I believe in myself. I believe I can. And then you fill in the blank. We are invincible and we can accomplish all that we put our mind to. This past year has given us much opportunity to restate our I believe statements. So here's a few of mine. And as I'm going through them, maybe think of some of yours. I believe in prayer. I believe in angels. I believe we can make choices and changes in our life that create health. I believe each of us carries a light of love and kindness. I believe we're all one and we need to be here at this great time of change on our planet. I believe when we recreate and finish recreating our society after this pandemic, education, business, I think it's all going to be more attuned to our individual needs. I believe love conquers all. I believe animals are great teachers, little and big. I believe nature is the greatest healer for all of us. What are your I believe statements? Find some quiet and write them down. How about if we share these very powerful words with others? I believe in you. And then step back and see what happens. Of course, my word of the week is going to be believe. So B is for beam. Beam our light out to everyone we talk to and everyone we meet. E is for essential. We never know how our smile or our positive words are going to help. And we need to hold in our hearts that we're meant to be here and share with others in a positive way. L is for laugh, (laughs) because we should not take ourselves so seriously. I is for inspire. That's our gift for our young folks. We need to inspire them to be great. E is for engage. Let's go deeper with our conversations. Once we get vaccinated and be with our friends and family face-to-face again, let's ask the questions that we tend to avoid. And I bet we will be pleasantly surprised. V is for voice. Ah, hopefully we have found our voice during this pandemic because it is important to speak our truth. And E is for encourage because we all need a little encouragement. It's going to be okay. Believe in ourselves, believe in others. Beautiful, strong words for the world. I wish you all a wonderful, beautiful week. Thank you. That's Gene Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks very much for joining me on the program this weekend. And remember, when you need us, we're here for you. 888-PLAN-RICK. Online at rickedelman.com. See you next week. Get the truth about money. Every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show. 